Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 19. Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 19. Let me give you the context, and then we're going to read a portion of our text. If you just flip back, the beginning of the heading of Luke chapter 20, here says, the authority of Jesus was challenged. They asked him. They said, Jesus, you're doing all these things. Who in the world told you it was okay for you to do these things? The scribes, the priests, they're all just questioning Jesus. On what authority are you doing the things that you're doing? You're kicking people out of the temple. You're cleansing the temple. You're not a priest. What's your deal? Who gives you the right to teach like this, to act like this, to talk like this, to heal people like this? Who do you think you are? Jesus presents the question back to them. Okay, I'll tell you where my authority comes from. If you tell me where John the Baptist's authority comes from, they're caught in a trap. They realize this is a political game. They realize if they say that John the Baptist was a prophet, well, that prophet said this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. If he's from above, they've got a problem. If they say he's not a prophet, they've got a problem with the people who they're scared of. And so now after this setting, Jesus is gonna tell a parable. This is the parable of the wicked tenants. It begins in Luke chapter 20, verse nine. Let me read the parable to you. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, and then he let it out, leased it out to tenants who went into another, and then he went into another country for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him, sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully. Sent him away empty-handed. He sent a third servant. This one they also wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Dear Lord, I pray today that you'd help my words to be tied to your text, that you would help all that's said to glorify and honor you, that you would help us to be drawn closer to you, that your spirit would do the work that is needed, that you may be glorified in our lives and on this campus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you the main idea of our text. The main idea is that the scribes and the Pharisees rejected the authority of the son given by the father. The main idea is that rejecting the authority of God's son ultimately leads us to destruction. This is what we see happening. You have a, you have a choice. I know all of us have a profession of faith. All of us who are here, you sign that on the application. You sign that you affirm this. But here what you see in this particular parable is that if you're gonna reject the authority of God's son, that's ultimately gonna lead you to destruction. That destruction's an eschatological destruction. It's a destruction at the end of all time. It's a destruction where there's a judgment that everybody's gonna have to stand before the Lord and say, what did you do with Christ? Now, even though everybody has a profession of faith here, I'm not foolish enough to think that everybody here is truly where you need to be with the Lord. And so I wanna challenge all of you and I wanna challenge anybody watching online to say this parable is being presented out of compassion, really, 
Because you have the scribes and you have the priests and they're challenging Jesus' authority and they're saying, what's the deal here? Jesus is gonna tell them a story and then he's gonna give them the main point of that story and ultimately what he's saying to them is this is a question of what's gonna happen with your ultimate judgment, with your eternal destiny, is what do you do with Jesus? Is Jesus who he said he was, God's son, the Messiah, who came to earth to die for our sins in our place, or is Jesus some crazy lunatic Or is Jesus some liar? Rejecting the authority of God's son ultimately leads to destruction. We have two points in our parable as we walk through this. We see the parable of the tenants and then we're gonna see the point of the parable. The parable of the tenants that we just read, let's walk through it and then we'll get to the point of the parable. Look at what it says here in verse nine. He says that he began to tell the people this parable. All of the people were there, but it's obvious that he's talking specifically to the priest and the scribes. He said, a man planted a vineyard. Now, some people make this parable into every little thing means something else, and they do that for good reasons. So the vineyard, you could look back to Isaiah and you could say, well, the vineyard is Israel. Some may say that the vineyard is the blessing. It's not that important exactly what it is because there was a vineyard, and the vineyard that was then planted, this person leased it out to tenants, to people who were gonna farm and work the vineyard, the land that had been given to them, things that we have been stewards of because it has been given to us. It's not our own. We do not own it. And then the owner of this went into another country. As the owner went into another country, it says after a proper time, when the time came, there was time for it to be worked, for it to be sowed, for everything to take place here. And then he sent servants and says to the servants, basically go get some of the vineyard. When he sends these servants, some would say that these servants are Old Testament prophets who would come and would prophesy about the coming Messiah. Uh, It's not really important whether they're Old Testament prophets or not because the owner sent the servants. The servants are then mistreated. When these servants are mistreated, you see that there's an escalation in the mistreatment here. It's a simple parable. He sent a servant and came to the tenants, said to the tenants, hey, I need some of the fruit of the vineyard for my master. Instead of giving him that, the tenants beat him and send him away empty-handed. Now, this is a story that if you're hearing this story, you're thinking, what in the world are they doing? They're not the owner of the place. You don't beat the servants. This is not right. Jesus has got a point. He'll get to the point. Verse 11, he sent a second servant to them. This is grace in and of itself that there's a repeated sending of servants. But this is similar to what God does in all of our own lives. He does things in our lives that lets us know that he is real and he is the Messiah. He sends people in our lives to tell us things. He sends messages in our lives to communicate things to us. The Lord lets us know through our conscience, through creation, through his word, through messengers that he's real and yet we push back and we don't respond. And here there's a second servant that is sent and it says that they sent him away empty-handed. And then in verse 12, it says, yet he sent a third. Again, another mercy of the Lord. The Lord has no obligation to send anything to me because I rebelled against him with my sinfulness. He can just judge me as condemned as a fallen sinner. And yet he sends a servant. He sends another servant. He sends a third servant to them. And so we're all sitting here looking at this vineyard and we're thinking to ourselves, this is not going to go well for these guys. And the owner has sent now three servants, this third servant, it said they wounded and cast out. Verse 13, it says, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? Well, this is loaded language here. He says, I will send my, what's the word there? All right, let's do it again. He was, I will send my, where have you heard the words beloved son before? Think back to the baptism of Jesus. 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Think back to the transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is language that's loaded. It's loaded for us as we've read this, but it's loaded language for the priest and for the scribes as well. As they see this beloved son, perhaps they will respect him. Who is the beloved son? The beloved son has to be Jesus. So the owner of the vineyard, God, is sending Jesus Surely they will listen to and respect him. But instead, when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him. Now, this makes no sense to me. I didn't live in this day and time. In this day and time, what some of the commentators will tell you is that because you had squatter's rights, basically, I mean, you get squatter's rights with your rooms, right? I mean, you get squatter's rights with dorm rooms. It opens up first to you. You get to pick the same room because you live in that room. You don't own that room, but you get to pick that room because that's the room that you were in. And so we open up housing for the next semester with squatter's rights. Well, apparently in Israel, if you worked the land and there was no one to lay claim to the land, then if the owner was gone and perhaps all the heirs were gone, if you were working the land, it was your land because you were the one on the land. And so perhaps in their minds, they're thinking, all right, we're gonna get rid of the heir, then nobody's gonna be able to lay claim to the land, and then we'll lay claim to the land, and this is perhaps what they're thinking. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, this is in Matthew and Mark as well. Not every one of these has, they threw him out of the vineyard first before they killed him, and so we can't make too much out of this. You could say, oh, this is saying that Jesus is gonna be taken out of the city and then crucified, but since all three don't have it the exact same way, I don't wanna make too much of this, but the fact is they rejected the son and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to him? I mean, this is what we see happen with Jesus. This is one of the last parables that Jesus ever told. The scribes and the Pharisees are going to take Jesus. They're going to present Jesus. They're going to kill Jesus because they don't like the fact that Jesus is doing away with the established religion of the time because Jesus is the one that ultimately has all of the authority. Who made you in charge? And Jesus says, God the Father gave me the authority to be in charge. So we move from the parable to the main point. Look at what it says in verse 16. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now to us, we could read this and it's a story, right? It makes perfect sense. Yeah, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. You killed the son. Yeah, I'm gonna come destroy you and I'm gonna give the, ten, give the farm to others, give the vineyard to others. When they read this, they'll look at their reaction. When they heard this, they said, surely not, exclamation point here. This is the may it never be language. Should we presume upon the grace of God and continue to sin so that grace may abound? And Paul says, may it never be, surely not. Here, when the crowd hears this statement, they understand what's being communicated. They're smart people. They understand that Jesus is basically telling a parable to say, you had the opportunity and you rejected all of the servants who came. You are rejecting now the son who comes in authority. And because you have done this, the vineyard's gonna be given to others. It's gonna be extended out perhaps to the Gentiles or to other Jews. You're not gonna end up having it. And they say, no, may it never be, surely not. And then in verse 17, Jesus looked directly at them. And then he starts quoting back to Old Testament language and pulling it forward. The priests, the scribes would have known this. He says, what then is written that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is Psalm 118, 22. 
Psalm 118.22 says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This cornerstone language that you see here, we also see in Acts 4, 10 through 12, in Romans chapter 9, verse 33, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Who's the cornerstone? It's Jesus. Jesus is being very clear with the story that he's telling to these people to say, you wanna know what authority I have? I'll tell you what authority I have. God the Father has sent the Son, and the Son is to be the cornerstone of everything that follows. And yet you are rejecting the cornerstone. Again, this all comes back to what am I gonna do with Jesus? Do I believe Jesus is who he said he is? Will I repent of my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross? Or am I gonna reject that message and live my life my own way? The text continues here. It doesn't just say the stone that the builders rejected will become the chief cornerstone, but in verse 18, it says everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Now this references back to Isaiah chapter eight, verses 14 and 15. Isaiah chapter eight, verses 14 and 15 say, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. These priests, these scribes, these scribes who copied the word, who knew everything in the Old Testament, these words, these are key words, these are buzzwords. These are words that they recognize from their culture, the cornerstone. You're saying that if we fall on this stone, we'll be broken to pieces? And then it says, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Well, this one's not quite as clear, but perhaps this is an allusion back to Daniel chapter two. You remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream with all the kingdoms that was coming, that there, were gonna be, there was gonna be a stone, and that stone would break everything into pieces. In Daniel 2, verses 45 and 44 and 45, it says, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hands and then it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, a great God is made known to the king. What shall be after this? This dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Here's what you have taking place. Jesus has told a parable. In the parable, they've understood it to say, you scribes, you priests, you're gonna reject the authority of the son that has been given by the father. And so then, he utilizes their language, their culture of the day, and he communicates to them clearly that the Old Testament says he is the Messiah. And that if you reject this stone, the chief cornerstone, you will be broken into pieces and you will be crushed. Now, how would we communicate this in modern day language? I don't know, I, I struggled to figure out a way to, to communicate this, but Jar Jar Binks. How many of you like Jar Jar Binks? How many of you hate Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> the extroverts must hate Jar Jar, the introverts must like him, I don't know. 
Jar Jar Binks was a Jedi. You can read about it on the internet. Everything on the internet is true, right? Yeah. Sith Lord. Oh, Sith Lord. That's, there you go. So I said two words, Jar Jar Binks, maybe three words. I don't know. It depends on whether you hyphenated or not. It doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, somebody said three. You guys know. Now, I could mention something from Lord of the Rings, and there would be a different crowd that might pop up. I could mention something from, oh, what's that dude with the wand? Ah, I'm proving my point here, right? I didn't even have to say the name, and there's many of you that have watched that really boring movie. I don't know. Is there more than one? I don't, I don't. I couldn't hear that, but whatever. There's eight. Are you kidding me? There's not eight of those movies. If, if I mention... Too soon. All right. So what's the snap from? I'm speaking Samuel's language now. He knows. Avengers. Come on, if you haven't seen them all by now, I'm not ruining it for you. It's not my fault. So here's my point to you. I mentioned a name, a gesture, a noise, and it brings to your mind immediately a flood of thoughts because this is your context and this is your culture. Jesus being questioned on his authority has just brought forward quotes from the Old Testament that would have been well known to the people who were listening to him. A psalm that talked about the Messiah, a rock that was gonna crush everything. And here as Jesus presents this to them, he's presenting it as clearly as possible. Now in our context, we may not know the Old Testament as well as they did. This may not seem as obvious to us as it might if we move into our culture and some things that we're really familiar with or we're really passionate with. But here they got it. They understood it. And verse 19 tells us the reaction to it. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived he had told this parable against them. They're smart people. They figured it out. You're talking about us? We're gonna take you out. They're gonna lay hands on them without prayer. They're gonna make sure that he exists no longer. They're gonna take care of the situation. So what should have happened? The scribes and the Pharisees should have heard this. If they believed in Jesus, then they should have fallen down and they should have said, Jesus, we're sorry. They should have repented. They should have said, Lord, we have been sinners. We have not been responsive to God who is the owner of all of this. You have given us an opportunity. This is gracious of you. Lord, would you forgive us for what we've done? We wanna live our lives for you. We recognize that God is the creator of all things. We recognize he's given us our life as a stewardship. I wanna live my life for Jesus. And yet they didn't do that. They continue to rebel and reject. So again, I go back to the main point of this passage. If we're gonna continue to reject Jesus' authority given by the Father, destruction is what awaits us. Look at these last words because this is gonna be important as we look at some application thoughts. But they feared the people. They feared the people and what the people were gonna say more than they feared God and what was gonna ultimately happen. 
And it's real easy for us, it's real easy for me to stand up here and read that particular portion and say, what's your problem? But in living day-to-day life and having people confront you with your beliefs, having people say, you really believe a guy went to a grave and got up out of a grave and ascended and he's coming again, he's gonna make all things new? Yeah, that makes you weird. Yeah, okay, fine, we're weird anyway, but that's, that's okay. But how many times do we fear people so that we don't share our faith? So that we don't take a stand for what we believe? So that we compromise on our positions? How many times do we fear others in such a way that it affects our actions, it affects our words? So before we get too high and mighty, we should recognize that this fear of people is a real thing. I've got three points of application for you. And then we're done. First point of application is rebellion without repentance dulls our conscience over time. So I don't wanna make too much out of this, but in the story that Jesus is telling, he sends one servant, they mistreat that servant. He sends a second servant, they mistreat that servant a little bit worse. He sends a third servant, they mistreat that servant a little bit worse. He sends his son and they kill the son. There's an escalation of sin that takes place here. You see it also throughout the Old Testament. You see it throughout the New Testament. There's an escalation of sin that takes place. We understand this in our own lives. And so to all of you students with summer coming up, with graduation on the horizon, I wanna say to you, be careful and guard yourself. Oh, it's just a little thing. It's just leaving at 1025. It's just a small thing. It's just skipping because I have a test. It's not a big thing. And maybe it's not. But where do those small things lead you to on a trajectory of life? with your girlfriend and it's just one step too far. And that one step too far brings exhilaration and excitement. But then after time, it doesn't anymore because it's just the routine and the mundane. So then it's two steps too far. And then that doesn't do it anymore, so it's three steps too far. And then it's four steps too far. And then you're falling off the cliff and you're wondering, how did I fall off the cliff? It's an injury where you're taking Opioids, because you have a legitimate injury and you have pain and you're trying to manage the pain and then you don't need them anymore. But they make me feel better or I'm gonna move into something else and one thing leads you to something else and you're looking for that same feeling but you can never get that same feeling so you move to something that's a little stronger and you become in a habit of using something or relying on something else and then you move just a little bit farther and next thing you know you're falling off a cliff and it all goes back to the fact of when you started you didn't, Correct. I'm just gonna lie this one time. Oh, you know what? I didn't get caught and that one lie made it easier. And so I'm gonna not just lie. I'm gonna be a little bit more deceptive. Oh, you know what? That was easy because I was able to do that and deceive 
And so then you move to another step and you become a habitual liar and so you lie about things all the time. Or you move to a deceptive person where it becomes a characteristic of you and eventually you're gonna get caught up with because if it's in schoolwork, eventually there's gonna be a test. Eventually you're gonna graduate and need that information. You're not gonna have that information. It's always gonna come back to you. And even if you don't get caught in this life, eventually there's a God who sees all and knows all and we will stand judgment before the Lord. And so I just wanna challenge you as students that I care about and that I love. Be careful where you let the trajectory of sin take you. It's just a small thing. I'm just gonna skip reading my Bible today because I'm busy. You know, I haven't read my Bible in a week, but it's okay, life's still good. I haven't had a consistent quiet time all summer because you know I'm not at Cedarville and I'm not in chapel and I don't have the Bible minor and nobody's yelling, no Bible, no breakfast every day from the stage and so I'm moving on and I'm doing other things and all of a sudden life begins to fall apart and it's like, what happened? It's like me this year with Chick-fil-A milkshakes. It's just one Chick-fil-A milkshake. There's nothing wrong with it, right? Oh, and then I'm too busy to go to the gym to work out. And all of a sudden, that scale starts doing this number. Well, all that scale's doing is telling me what the truth is about how many calories I put in and how few exercise calories I put out. And eventually, it catches up to you and you step on the scale and you go, oh, that belt loop doesn't fit anymore. It's okay, I've got three more. (laughs) Now I gotta spend all summer working all of that off, right? Or if I don't, I'm gonna be praying the prayer of Jabez this summer and expanding my borders and then I'll show up with a little more of me this fall. So you get it, you understand it. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's with all the things we do in life and I just wanna encourage you and challenge you, don't let these things get out of control. Rebellion against God's rules without repentance dulls our conscience over time and we keep going farther and farther and back to our main idea and our main point, it ends in destruction. Number two, do you have a relationship with the exalted stone? You know there I'm meaning Jesus or will you be crushed by it? I say this because I love all of you. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He was gracious enough to come to this earth to go to a cross to die for my sin in my place and in your place for your sin. And by asking his forgiveness for my sin and putting my faith and trust in what he has done on the cross, not my own works, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, I can have his righteousness imputed to me. His righteousness cover me and my sinfulness. Dear student, if you haven't done that, I urge you and plead with you today to do that. Dear student who knows a friend who hasn't done that, who never shows up to chapel or whatever. Can you encourage them to do that? Because you love them and you care about them? Can you just encourage them to go watch a good Sunday Easter message? Think about the implications of what rejection of Jesus means. And then finally, third point, third point of application. Do you fear men more than you fear God. Galatians 1.10 says for us, for I'm now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We see an example of this in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 15.24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. 
for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. If this is your inclination. And there's, all of us, I think, have this inclination at some point in time or another. All of us, I think, want people to say nice things about us. We wanna be liked. We wanna have, wanna have good things out there. So I think all of us have this struggle to some degree. But I think there are, are particular personality types that lend itself more to really wanting to please people, that really wanting to hear those words of affirmation, those are the things that you really desire and that you really seek. Can I say to you, if you know that's you, if you know you really want other people to say nice things about you and you're willing to do whatever you need to do in order to get them to say those nice things, can you just right now mark in your mind that this could be a weakness and a fault in your life that you need to pay close attention to? Because sometimes it's okay to do something funny and get a laugh, but sometimes you end up taking that way too far because you still want those laughs. And it leads you into sinfulness. It's okay to do that one funny dance that everybody laughed at. But then when you desire that more and more and you move and you continue on and you start doing things that aren't funny anymore, because you're still desiring the approval of the crowd. Recognize what the crowd did with Jesus. When he came in, they said, Hosanna in the triumphal entry. And then when he stood trial, they said, give us Barabbas, crucify him. If you're finding your fulfillment ultimately in other people, other people are ultimately eventually gonna reject you and flee from you. Our ultimate approval doesn't come from what men say about us. It comes from what God says about us. God sees all and knows all. Can you just put a mark in your mind if that's your condition? Can every one of us put a mark in our mind to say I need to please God more than I need to please men? But if this is your personality type, can you just put a mark and say I've gotta watch this and I've gotta check my own heart because when I take so much joy out of the approval of other people, that means I'm liable to wanna seek that joy and do things I shouldn't do in order to get it. So when somebody says something really nice to me and my heart just flutters or my heart just explodes with, flutters is a really bad word for a guy on a stage, um, <laughs> an excitement, a happiness. Somebody says something and you just beam with a smile. Okay, time out. It's okay to enjoy a compliment, but why is it that my heart was so cheered by those words from a fellow sinner on this earth and yet I don't often seek the approval of God above in heaven. Here's it is in the text. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to lay hands on him at the very hour for they perceived he had told the story, the parable against them, but they didn't because they feared the people. And when they got the people on their side, they killed him. If you live long enough, you will eventually have somebody that will tell lies about you. You will eventually have some people that don't understand what you've done and they will say things and do things that are not right. Can I just tell you, do what's right and let God sort it out? Do what's right and let God sort it out. Ultimately, we serve an audience of one. And while it's really nice for people to think good thoughts about us, it's essential that we serve our Savior the way we should. All right, it's our text for today. If you reject the authority of the Son given by the Father, destruction awaits.
Let's keep that in mind as we talk to others over the summer, as we minister to others, as we serve others. Let's keep that in mind of ourselves as well. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us to fear you more than we fear people. I pray that you would help us to serve you well as good stewards of what you've given us. I pray that you would give us consciences that are quick to recognize when we're going down wrong paths and that we would repent and turn to do what is right and what is good and what pleases you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find our joy in serving you, not in others and what they may say. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't responded to the gospel truth that you are the son of God, that you are God, that you are the Messiah, that today would be the day. And God, I pray for all of our students in these last few weeks that you would just give them strength and good rest and health, that you would prosper them as they study, that you would help them to finish well for your glory. And Lord, that you would use them this summer wherever you may take them and that you would use them to, to glorify you well and to help others flourish in this life. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.